All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. It's the JT and Looney Podcast, episode 88. The Drew Pearson episode. There are a lot of great 88s. Also, Marvin Harrison. Didn't he kill a guy? Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant. The playmaker, Michael Irvin, who spent so many years on the best damn sports show, period. Anyway, JT and Looney Podcast is powered by Bet Online. The month of June is here. A lot of exciting sports action. Bet online is where you can find it. We've got the NBA playoffs, NHL Stanley Cup playoff, no S. Bet online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting. And here's what's really cool: just for being friends with JT and Looney, you'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit at betonline.ag. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or before the puck drops, or before someone swings a glove at someone else's head in some YouTube versus X-Tube fight, <laughs> go to Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We are thrilled to have Mr. C in heaven join us on the JT and Looney podcast. It is a high honor. Ernie, how are you, my friend? Good to see you. Good to hear you. Good to see you guys too. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while, but I've been, I've been following the, uh, the, the goings and the comings of the Las Vegas Raiders. So, uh, it's been, it's been interesting and, uh, looks like you're going to have an exciting season and you're going to have fans in the seats. And that's a good thing. Absolutely, we're going to have fans in the seats. Hey, there's a lot to get to with you. First off, uh, before we get into the fight and the battle you're going through, let's start off early in your young life. Tell everybody where you were born, where you were from, where, what are the early influences in your life before we get to the evolution of Mr. C. Okay, well, I, uh, I was born in Hayward, California, and... Uh, I was in a family of five, five kids, and then my parents, of course. And uh, my early influences re related to sports uh, were really uh, surrounded by announcers. I used to announce baseball games to myself in the backyard. <laughs> first to the ninth inning, and I would do every single pitch. I'd do the national anthem. I'd do the whole bit, seventh inning stretch. And uh, so Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons, Bill King, those were my uh, local influences. And then, of course, Howard Cosell. I, I heard this guy. Hello, this is Howard Cosell. I heard that guy. And I thought, hmm, I think I could do that voice. I was working at, on the time I was working on my JFK. Uh, and I was bothering my mom a lot uh, with those voices. I would really actually use those voices to get things from her. When she went shopping, she'd ask me if I wanted to go with her. And I started out seeing her. Uh, when she would pick things out of the grocery store or wherever she was. <laughs> Please just stop. Don't do that. Please don't do that. And then when I got to the Howard Cosell, she says, all right, whatever you want, uh, I'll get it for you. Just stop doing that guy's voice. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that children, uh, you know, children don't have attention spans, newsflash. But you in your backyard had the patience to do nine innings of a game? 
Yeah, we w- and and the way I did it was uh, I'd set it up with uh, like a remember those things, those pitchback things. Yeah. You'd, yeah. So if the ball went a certain direction, it would be a hit. If it went over my head, it'd be a home run. Uh, so I actually pitched the whole game. I was Juan Marichal, Sandy Koufax. Those were my two favorites. So it was always the Giants and the Dodgers. And uh, then every once in a while, I'd throw in some baseball cards. My friends and I would, we, we had this thing where we would trade baseball cards during the course of the game. And they'd come and they'd listen to me. And uh, we did a whole, I, th- I think 1963, 64, 65, 66, we did a whole season. And of course, the Giants won the World Series every year. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's great when you can make it up on your own. You know, as we get to Howard Cosell and the movie and life and everything that's so special about you, when Howard Cosell got in your mind and it got in your mind and then you tried to perfect it, what was the process like? Was it, it was it something you were always battling? Did you find it? And when you found it, you said, I, I got it. Tell us about that journey. Well, I'll tell you something, JT, something happened. Um, that I didn't really think about till later on. It probably didn't happen until I started uh, getting, you know, calling in uh, to Gary Radnich's shows back in the early 2000s. There was a guy on the uh, Ed Sullivan show that did a routine and he used a guy by the name of Tony Conicella. That's what he would say. And he he would announce everything. He would announce uh, his dinner. He would announce uh, his kids coming home from school. He announced everything. So I kind of picked up on that from that. And that was where I kind of got the voice from, but it wasn't the Howard Cosell voice. What I really, what really got me uh, on Howard was Muhammad Ali. I was a big Muhammad Ali fan from when I was a little kid. And uh, when I started watching the wide world of sports shows, you know, um, I'm like, who's that guy? Who's that guy that has, has that funny hair that talks funny like that, you know? And so when I, when I saw him and there he is with Will Chamberlain and there he is with, you know, with Ali and Joe Frazier and all of those great conversations that occurred during that time, I just kind of got hooked on it. And I, and I think later on people didn't, I don't think people understood at the time how important Ali and Cosell were, you know, as a duo, what they were doing right then there during the time of social change. Well, also, so there just wasn't very many times when you were a kid and you were a fan of somebody or you were a fan of a band or an athlete, you didn't have full-time access to them like you do now with YouTube and on the internet with your phone in your hand. You're always just a couple of clicks away from seeing any childhood hero that you had. But if you had a childhood hero or somebody you really admired, like Muhammad Ali or Howard Cosell, when you were a kid, you had to wait and then hope your mother told you, right? <laughs> or hope right. someone, if, if you didn't know yourself, that that Muhammad Ali was going to be on Wide World of Sports on Sunday. Or you had to park yourself in front of the television, hoping that that would be the case. Right. Or you had to have your, your mother had to let you know that he was on one of her shows, like Merv Griffin. <laughs> or Mike Douglas, that you had to hope that uh, you caught a- a- any hero on TV. So uh, you must have had to park yourself in front of Wide World of Sports every Sunday just in case Muhammad Ali or Howard Cosell or both were on. That was another thing, Tommaso. 
the the thing is is that uh, I parked myself in front of the television set whenever I wasn't at school. I was in front of the television set and I was watching. I watched everything that I could get my eyes on, and and that was one of the things. And yeah, and Cosell, like you said, you know, on Sunday, Sunday was the thing. Cosell and Le, and and those great conversations. And we're we're very fortunate, uh, you know, the viewers out there that that haven't seen these on YouTube. It's 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 amazing. I think I think it's it's I think it's going to stand the test of time forever. Also, yeah, I think, uh, I JT, have you had yeah. What one thing that Howard Cosell did that other at that time a lot of weenie sportscasters all gathered, you know, got together in a pack and decided they weren't going to call Muhammad Ali Muhammad Ali. They were going to call him Cassius Clay. They were going to write that in their newspapers and say that name into microphones, and they kind of vilified him. And Howard Cosell took the other tack. That you know, it's a free country. You get to call your name, get to call yourself whatever you want, be whatever religion you want, and you get to have political opinions that are different from others. So that also gave Howard Cosell access to Muhammad Ali and, and access to Muhammad Ali's heart, where other sportscasters were get were, were being political. That's right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this was the backdrop of all of our youth. And I just remember what it was like sitting in my living room and watching an Ali fight for free and, and understanding I didn't grow up as my dad wasn't a massive boxing fan, but he was a big, big sports fan and understood the big event. And when Cosell came on and it was a big Ali fight, it was the biggest event in the world. And you didn't need to be told. You just knew it was the biggest event in the world. And Ernie, for you, it's really cool that you picked the greatest, arguably, I believe the greatest sports broadcaster of all time and the greatest athlete of all time, standing the test of time with Michael Jordan and Kareem and Bill Russell and DiMaggio and all that. It's really amazing that you saw this as a young kid and followed this journey. Now let's pick it up when you started putting on the wide world, the sports coat, and you put on the toupee and you started portraying Howard Cosell and it caught on because you have a big backstory in sports talk radio. Like I did, I was a caller. I started my career calling into the Jim Rome show, calling into shows because I would sit in a car and I would be fascinated by what I was hearing because when I was hearing West Coast Sports Talk Radio as an East Coast guy, we didn't have that type of format on the East Coast, caller-driven, people calling in, going back and forth. So when did that hook you where you had the marriage between Mr. C in Heaven and Sports Talk Radio? So real, real quick, I, I'll go back to even, I'll go back further, like back to when I was a kid. Uh, my mom, my dad worked uh, a graveyard shift, and so my mom had the radio on all the time. So KGO Radio was you know, had talk radio back then. So people like Ira Blue um, and uh, a couple other people that I don't remember their names, but I would have that, I would have that uh, radio on all night next to my bed. And so I was listening to sports, I'm not sports talk, but just talk radio. I really like listening to people call in and you know, every once in a while, someone would get denigrated and it, would, it, it was fun. And so, um, this thing that happened with uh, sports talk radio, I used to, my, during my previous life, I had a, a job where I, I was in the vehicle a lot. So I'd listen to, you know, sports talk as I was driving around, as a lot of people do that listen to sports talk. And um, 
anyway, this one day, my friend calls me out of the blue and he says, hey, uh, the Raiders and the Jets, it was a Raider-Jet playoff game in 2002. And um, he says, hey, uh, I want to know if you could call in uh, to KMBR and see if you can do a voice. They're having a contest. So I said, I, I'm, I'm busy right now, man. I can't do it. And he says, just call, please, please. Uh, all right. So I call. Uh, it was a Raiderette who was 19 years old. She didn't know who Howard Cosell was. So I didn't win the tickets to the game, <laughs> which would have been nice to win. But uh, instead, Gary says, just call in, uh, start calling in. So I did. I started calling in. But the thing that I learned about Howard Cosell, you know, impersonating Howard Cosell, you got to know something about sports and also about history. And, you know, you could pick a, a less intelligent person to impersonate. Uh, it was it, it was right. a load. It's it became carrying it was carrying there was a lot of stuff that I had to keep in my head um, because you're talking about off the cuff things that you have to talk about uh, related to uh, not only to Monday Night Football but also um, things like you know vocabulary uh, <laughs> that's right vocabulary. <laughs> I was nowhere near as good as Howard on the vocabulary but you know when he would say damn he is a man beset by you know something like that i love when he would say things like that um, there was a time the first time that we ever had you on when they put jt and i together uh -huh. and you um and jt introduced us and you said little tommy looney <laughs> and it was it was uh it was chills for me because th that's when i was introduced to Howard Cosell when I was Tommy, and which is what my grandfather called me, and my grandfather loved Howard Cosell. My grandfather was a reader, loved vocabulary and words, was a word geek, so he would sit there and listen to Howard talk about how things were utterly unsubstantiated. And I learned my voca big vocabulary words from Howard Cosell, and uh, little Tommy Looney, Learned his big, his, his uh, great vocabulary words from Howard Cosell. And when you called, your, your instincts told you to call me that as Mr. C from heaven. Right. I mean, that, that meant that you really, I, I was fascinated with how deep into the character you were just by that, that alone. Right away, I knew, oh my God, this guy dives into this character. Well, I, I, I really, you know, something that I kind of, uh always thought that if you're going to impersonate someone because it is you know a form of flattery that uh, right. knows something about the character and uh the more i read about howard and the more you know his books are so uh immersive i think they're great his first one i think is his best one and because it, it talks a lot about his his uh when he came up you know with custom auto and uh floyd patterson and and the various uh relationships he developed with those with those people you know as he learned more about boxing and became a better uh, announcer and a better you know character if you will but um all of those books gave some insight and the and the last one of course from the first one to the last one if you read if you read all of those books you can see the change that happened in howard you know it's kind of a sad thing at the end he became bitter um but in the beginning, he was he was like a little kid in a candy store and surrounded by these people that he 
he admired and he and then he became you know disenchanted but great great stories and uh, yeah just a great that is that is very fascinating because we can get into this you know the history of howard cosell is so deep and if you could look at his arc of his life and his career and getting into broadcasting and how he got into broadcasting and then became so successful so successful especially on the speaking circuit right think of all those events in new york city or anywhere he's introducing mickey mantle and there's billy martin and george steinbrenner and red holtzman how many of those nights did he have that the world doesn't know about that he was there with the uh, cigar and emceeing these events, something that we've all done. And to think Howard Cosell was doing it, but then at the end of his life, the bitterness when the money isn't what it's supposed to be, the ego. Let's right. wrap up this chapter of you learning about Howard with his ego and how his ego got in the way at the end of his life. Yeah. And it, it was sad because I mean, at the end of his life, um, he was doing baseball, you know, and he did not like baseball. He, he was, he, he was uh, disenchanted with the fact, you know, that uh, he was not getting what he wanted from Rune Arledge and uh, Arledge had pretty much written him off. And uh, so he had to go to people like Elton Rule, who was one of the other presidents of ABC, but he didn't, he, he didn't have the same, you know, they, they kind of had used Howard to the point where they didn't need him as much as they used to. And, uh, you know, the, the fight, I think when he walked away from boxing, um, that night, that pretty much, you know, was it as far as it is, you know, being a top, uh, you know, top announcer. At it was Larry Holmes and Randall Tex Cobb, right? That's right. November 26, 1982. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a brutal bl a bloodbath. So, before we get to the movie, which I saw, which is fantastic, on the on your Facebook page, I follow you on Facebook page, uh -huh. and it has your name, and it says Mr. C, uh, living with and fighting stage four lung cancer. So you've been out in the open on this journey, and this fight that you're on. Tell us where you are today, in this fight. How difficult it's been. And what have you learned from this chapter in your life? Well, first thing, first thing I would tell everyone, and uh, what I've learned is that um, you need to go to the, whether you're a smoker or not, you need to go to the doctor every year and get your lung uh, scanned. Um, because any little thing that shows up on there, they can catch it early and it could save your life. Um, where I am right now, I've been through uh, 16 rounds of chemotherapy. I went through 10 rounds of uh, immunotherapy. Um, I, I was very fortunate that the, the chemotherapy was really, uh, it was hard, it's hard, it's all hard. It's none of it's easy. Um, but I was able to get through it and uh, some of my tumors shrunk, some of them didn't. Um, Oh, I also had radiation, JT, I forgot about that. <laughs> but um, I've been, I've, I've kept, I think I've kept a good uh, frame of mind on this. I, I, I'm not uh, getting down about it. Um, I, I feel fortunate that I have a lot of great people around me that are helping me. My kids are around me, so that's good. And um, 
but you know, uh, every day is a blessing. Uh, I'm on special, I'm on a, a special, uh, mutation drugs right now that, uh, I'm, I'm giving them a shot. Um, I seem to be doing pretty well with them. You know, I'm talking to you right now. I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm hoping that I can make it to a Raider game this year. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of think of, so, you know, it's hard to do this, but I think of a, each month as a year for me. That's kind of the way I'm thinking it. Um, and you know, time, time is precious. And uh, you just, you just gotta, you gotta, it's like my doctor says, you know, my doctor's name is Dr. Z. Dr. Z says carpe diem, you know, every day. And uh, I know you've lost some, you know, uh, very special people in your life, JT, over the years to cancer. And um, it's just, it's not something you want any of your, any of your loved ones, your friends, your worst enemy to have. It's just, it's horrible. As, yeah. you, and as, I watch, as you watch the fight, and I know you're going through the fight because I, I watch you and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're very transparent with this and you're very open with this and you're putting it up, you know, for other people to see and to talk about. Do you think that that's an important stage for you right now to let other people know about your fight so they can understand your journey, help you spiritually along the way? And plus, so many people love you. So they want to know what's going on every day. They want to help you. If they can go uh, donate, if they can help you along the way. And if you don't post every couple of days, people worry about you. What is that like? How does that hang on you knowing so many people care about what's happening to you every day? Well, I really appreciate that. I, I, uh, um, I didn't plan on it like that, but um, I had some friends that hadn't heard from me in a while. And they're saying, well, what's going on with you? I said, well, I guess I'll just what I'll do is I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll post something about my, my treatment, one of my treatments. And then it kind of just became a thing where I started posting about my treatments. People are interested to see what people who have cancer, what they go through. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, myths to it. Um, everybody's different. There's a lot of hard truths to it. Um, but a, a young, friend of mine from high school uh, I met her because she had a locker next to mine this goes back to 1972 and uh, that's when we first met she lost her husband last year to cancer and I didn't know that and uh, she posted something on my Facebook that she said that me uh, be, being able to talk about it and to talk about the journey that it's helped her a lot because her husband her late husband wasn't able to talk about it and having me being able to talk about it has really helped her a lot. And so that meant a lot to me. And there's other people that have cancer that have reached out to me, you know, um, and it's, it's been, it's been uh, very heartwarming for me and, and, and it's helped me a lot. Also helps the cause. You raise awareness in the way that it takes it out of the abstract for people, for people who haven't, uh, lost a loved one or seen anyone go through it sometimes unless you know it, it happened oh it happens over the years with a lot of different ailments or causes whether it's school shootings or aids etc when people when people think of it in the in the abstract but then when you post like that it it makes it reality it's someone they know if they are following you 
and it's something they have to see and touch and learn about and which is uh which is important to raise the awareness of how we need to get early testing so we don't have to go through that that's right it's and then and um you know i was sitting at my uh, dining room table when i got the first call because i i thought i had covid last this started for me last march it was actually last march when all the symptoms started i was feeling fine up until then and then i thought uh oh i have covid and it went month after month it went for several months and because of the covid uh they weren't really wanting people to go into the hospital to get checked and my doctor was telling me no we don't want you know there's stuff going on here we don't want people coming in uh stay away and then it was last may that he said, okay, you got to come in and get checked. And then I had the scans and all that. And then I found out. And, you know, when you're sitting at a at your dining room table and you're going to get a phone conference with a doctor that you don't really know because it's a new oncologist and you're just trying to figure out, okay, what's oncology? I don't right. know what that is. And uh, they tell you you have three months to live. And then you say, what? And I said, this is not curable. And so, you know, when you can hear something like that, it, it's almost like it's a joke. It, it can't be real. This is not happening. This can't be the, this is the worst scenario. I can't even be in a doctor's office with this person who's really a stranger to me telling me that I only have three months. And um, so that's what happened. And then I said, okay, I, thought, I, I sat there and I talked to my son about it. And he said, dad, you, you, you've got to get another opinion. And so I did. I I went to uh, to see the another the oncology department. And I got a, a a really good nurse. Turned out to be a super angel, and she said, "I want you to um, look at this. Look up this guy. This is a great doctor." And so she really referred me to this other doctor. It turned out to be a great doctor, and um, I fired the other doctor, and uh, it got me the doctor that's keeping me alive. And uh, so I'm very appreciative to him. You know. Yeah. And I, I think that you, the second opinion is a really bo- a big part of this podcast for you to talk about this journey you've been on. I saw your trip to Hawaii recently. Yes. And what was that all about? Is this as you're fighting, you're looking at a bucket list. What was that trip all about? Because I really enjoyed seeing you running around Hawaii with a big smile on your face. Yes. Well, you know what, JT, a friend of mine, Rich Friedman, who I'm going to name him name. I'm naming names now. Uh, he's a writer over at the Vallejo Times Herald and been a friend of mine for many, many years. And back in the day, uh, I got him the special poster from the Alley Center and he never forgot. He never forgot it. And uh, he came to visit me um, about a month before I went to Hawaii. And he says to me, he says, hey, uh, Mr. C, where would you, you know, where would you like to go? I said, what are you talking about where I like to go? He says, well, if you wanted to go somewhere, where would you like to go? And so I said, well, I'd like to go to Hawaii. And he says, okay, well, let's make it happen. And he took care of all the details and got it all set up for me and he and his brother, Art. And um, I was just just blown away. And then even um, got my sister to go with me because I need someone to kind of look after me um although in hawaii you know jt things are a little different you get yes. that whole 
get that Hawaiian air. And next thing you know, you're running around doing things you didn't think you could do. So that's kind of like what happened to me there. But yeah, it was great. It was a great trip. Uh, had a lot of shrimp, you know, and all that good stuff. It was windy. It was a heck of a uh, windy time, but uh, didn't get to a luau. And I'll tell you something. Uh, there are some beaches there where you can't uh, sell service. So when you're looking for your uh, Lyft or your Uber, you could be able to stop. Did, did, you, did you wish at some point that you knew you were going to get a free, if you knew you were going to get a free trip that you had chosen another destination? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something, little Tommy Looney. I was really impressed with the way that the airlines had it set up. You know, because you had to, okay, so Hawaii, you have to get tested. Oh, right, right. You have a vaccine, you still got to get tested, right? So you get on the plane and every, and you figure, okay, everybody, in order to get past that line, you've got to have proof that you were tested within the last 72 hours. And so there's a, there's a feeling of, you know, you're okay. You're in a plane full of people who, you know, tested negative. And then once you get to Hawaii, it's, kind of you know people people are still a little bit standoffish a little bit but most places they they were open um and you get a little wristband or something like that to take your temperature give you a wristband i said oh, okay fine but um yeah it was it was great yeah okay i i might have you know made a maybe picked antarctica or something <laughs> so tell let's talk about the movie the movie's fantastic tell everybody about the concept of it how you got it done, where we can watch it, and how we can promote it. Well, I really appreciate that promotion part. Um, so back in 2006, I was, I was approached by a production company that wanted to do a, a little 30-minute uh, uh, television pilot. And so they started following, following me around. And uh, we ran into you on, on a couple of occasions. Yep. And, um, so I just, I, I was like, okay, so they, they became part of my life for all oh, close to five years. And we did about 56 hours of footage and, uh, we went all over the place and, um, from the Kentucky Derby alley center, um, we were out there in Lake Tahoe with you. Uh, that not, but all that ended up on the cutting room floor, I guess. We didn't get any of that in there. Um, but it became kind of a thing where, okay, here's a guy that's dressing up like uh, Howard Cosell, going around, doing these things, whatever it was he was doing. Um, and um, let's just see what happens. And uh, I, I was... I was very disappointed that the, it took so long. You know, this film was completed back in 20, 2011 and it's been 10 years sitting, waiting to get exposure um, because of a problem that we had with the production company. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it never made it into a, a film festival. We, we easily, we were accepted into several film festivals, but, uh, because of politics in the background, we weren't able to get it uh, out there. So right now, uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's 
just if you just go on YouTube and you look up Mr. C film, um, but make sure you put a, a space in there, Mr. Space C space film. Otherwise, something else comes up. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a two hour. Originally, it was two hours. Got it edited and edited. The guy who did the um, the direction and the editing, uh, Andrew Piconi, um, he went to work for Walt Disney for the Disney uh, company, and he did a lot of uh, Imagineering. Um, those things are on Disney Plus, the Imagineering uh, series. He was uh, instrumental in that. And uh, so when he came back to me and he said, hey, um, I want to finish the Mr. C film, and I want to kind of polish it up a little bit here and there. I've, I've learned I'm better at what I do than when I first started this film. I said, oh, okay. So when he came back and he showed it to me, I was like, wow, I was very impressed. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the film. And I appreciate your kind words about it. I noticed you just referred to Mr. C as he. <laughs> so I, I, so cause some people might find that odd or interesting or both. Uh, so when you're doing the character, you do think of it as he rather than yourself. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mr. C is a character. He's not me. He's somebody else. And uh, he, okay. So, you know, what an interesting, interesting story with this was that um, I knew, I was never really sure how to go, which way to go with, with Mr. C because Mr. C started out as a guy calling into a radio show. And um, I never in my life had ever thought I was going to dress up. I was going to, I was going to put a wig on and, and uh, put on a yellow coat or all that stuff. But someone asked me to appear at a banquet and I'm like, well, you know, Hey, I'll give you 500 bucks. I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me go look for it. Maybe there's something to this. So I, I got a wig. It wasn't a very good one. And I got a, a sort of yellow jacket. It wasn't very good. And I showed up at this this uh, banquet and, and people liked it. You know, they were like, oh, they loved it. And so I thought, huh, okay, maybe I'll do something. And then, then I started looking, researching, trying to find, you know, things about wide world sports and things, patches and things like that. Um, that's kind of the way I put my jackets together. Um, but, uh, yeah. Incredible. This is uh, an amazing journey that ties us, little Tommaso Looney, <laughs> Gary Radnich, the great Tony Bruno, right? Yeah, Tony Bruno's in there. Um, I started looking about, you know, we, we cut some of the some of the celebrities ended up they didn't make it in the film. But, you know, when I think about there's a there's a scene in there with Michael Jordan. And I don't know if I could tell you that <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. OK, so. Um, so I was there uh, for the uh, Kentucky Derby, and uh, I was working for another company, uh, for a local company there that was that has uh, suites that they, and so I work the suites and I'm uh, chatting it up with the people that are there and that kind of thing. And um, so they said, well, can you come down to the LE Center and do some interviews? So I said, sure. So it was an evening thing. I went down there and there was a gentleman there and he says, hey, we're doing a, uh, raffle thing upstairs and wondering uh, and then we're going to do like a uh, a thing where we auction off a painting do you think you could do that for us I'm like well uh, 
okay <laughs> all right so i so they take me by the arm and they take me up there and, and there's spike lee over there and there's wow. the butt over there and there's ali over there and uh dr j i became friends with dr j <laughs> dr j is such a nice guy you know we we're, we're having a drink together he goes i want to tell you something about howard Cosell. you know so, so i'm talking to dr j i said look i am like totally uh i don't know what i'm gonna i'm doing here they told me to come up here he says oh you'll be fine so the again the guy that was uh uh running this thing he says look just do whatever it is you do mr c uh we were looking to get 15 grand out of this uh this painting if if you can get us 15 grand we'd be really appreciative I go, okay all right so i go well, we got some high rollers in here we probably should do uh, oh uh, bob johnson who had just sold bet television he was there <laughs> so we figured we could probably get 15k easily right from some way or another anyway so uh this woman that was there who i knew an event planner she says uh look mr c i know how you operate uh the thing is is michael jordan does not like to be touched so don't touch him. make sure whatever you do do not touch him i said oh okay i'm you know i don't even know where he's sitting so uh okay fine so the auction starts and uh of course i go to my friend dr j and Dr. J, you know, nods his head at 10,000. All right, we got 10,000. How about 12? And so I'm like, you know, I'm looking for another NBA star that's in the audience tonight. And so, um, so it's uh, Jordan. Jordan, you know, where is he? You know, I'm up, I, I look down and he's, he's sitting right next, right down below, right where I am. He's sitting right down there. And uh, she's pulling on my jacket. Don't do it. Don't go and put your arm around him. Of course, I go, hello, Mikey. How are you? put my arm around him and so we were able to get uh 25,000 uh wow. bob, bob johnson bob johnson says um uh i'll tell you what mike you say 24 then i'll say 25 and then we'll be good and so jordan says fine fine 24 24,000 and um uh johnson says you know what mike on second thought I think that would look much better in your living room than mine. And Jordan ended up, uh, <laughs> ended up being the one that got the $24,000 painting. And now he has the Jordan brand. It's not even Nike anymore. Dak Prescott signed with the Jordan brand for his okay. deal. Yes. Right. Not, he, used to, he used to say Nike and the Jordan. Now it's just the Jordan brand. How are your days? How many days do you spend? How much time do you spend walking around compared to laying down? Well, it all depends on how I feel, Tom. You know, some some days I just can't get to the end of the driveway. Okay. Um, just because the pain, you know, it's just like it's all. It's um, a lot of my stuff has has to do with my uh, the left my the left side of my uh, my it's my left lung. My right uh -huh. lung is clear. My left lung. But the stuff moves around, and um, so you. There's just some days where you just, when you get up out of bed, you feel like you swallowed uh, like a billiard ball or something, like rolling around inside you, and it's pushing on stuff. And oh wow! What happened with 
with my, uh, I was actually around the first of the year, they were talking about uh, just staying on the, uh, it's, a, it's called Keytruda, it's an immunotherapy drug. Uh-huh. And uh, they advertise it on TV, things like that you never really paid attention to before. Right, until it's you, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just there's a funny story about with the constipation. I didn't even yeah. know what constipation was because I was a kid. Yeah. And that, when I started flying a lot, I realized flying caused constipation. Yeah. But I didn't even know what that meant because it was one of those commercials on TV that I thought was for old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Or, you don't you don't pay attention to a lot of those medicines until they apply to you. The old lady holding that bottle of Kaylee's mo. Right. But, oh, <laughs> Oh, what right. I, I never paid any attention. I was wondering why I was never hungry for three days after I flew. Well, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to be constipated on a plane. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. I spent a lot of time trying to open those doors. I'm like, what the <laughs> do I push? Do I pull? Then how do I get in? I know. <laughs> I'm not even overweight. How do I get in here? How do I get uh, in? So uh, and now, do they have any good pain medication for you to deal with that? Um, yeah. So, you know, this thing with the opioids and stuff, they really, even cancer patients, they, uh, they, they kind of, you know, they're careful. Uh-huh. So, um, I mean, I've known friends that have had cancer and they're like, oh, they put me on morphine right away. Da, 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 da. I said, well, that hasn't been the case with me. I've really had to fight to get pain meds. And uh, so what I've done is I've used uh, gummies. I've, I've had, I've, I use gummies sometimes. Uh-huh. Gummies uh, really help with uh, anxiety and uh, that kind of thing. And then like sleeping, you know, because sleep uh, is tough. Uh-huh. Sometimes you don't want to go to sleep. Or you just can't go to sleep. Right. And so that kind of thing, too, has been part of the battle. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's too, you know, the, it, what's amazing is if they know that you've got your, the issues that you have, that they can't, can't just give, that, that's what the pain medication is for, for you. <laughs> it's, I know. It, it's ridiculous. Oh, my God. God. Well, I I'll tell you, I got into it with the pharmacist. Uh, I have Kaiser, so I went down. I went down um, to the pharmacy because I got the the reminder. I got like an automatic refill, so they send me the reminder. It's it's down there. Go get it. So that I got. Uh, so I go to get my pain medication, and when I get there, I don't know. I guess I was a day earlier than they're, than they're supposed to be or something i don't know but i went down there to get it and the girl says oh you're a day early you can't get it and i said what do you mean i can't get it <laughs> she said like i'm not i'm not i'm not driving around i'm not coming down here again tomorrow no 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 so she gets the pharmacist the pharmacist comes over and says yeah i'm sorry but you know i said let me tell you something what does that say you got i got my my oncology express card here what does that say and he says oh you have cancer and i said yes he says oh i'll i'll fill it for you right now oh good good oh god i'm but, glad he was but, good but wow. you know it was like 
know, one day, one day. Well, um, yeah, and that's what they're like. They're, they're, they want to be careful of the people who were too eager to come get their pain meds. You know, my doctor gives me, um, every once in a while I have this periodic back issue. Yeah. He gives me 30 Vicodin a year. And uh, I ask for, I ask for, like, what'd you say? A year? Yeah, I know. I asked for 365, <laughs> but, he gives, but he gives me 30. Yeah. And I, I usually split them in half. I have a back issue today, actually. But it usually, it's only two or three times a year I get it. And it sucks when I do. But, and those help me a lot. They, the, you know, I, I was talking about it on a cruise once about how it takes away the misery. If you've got the flu or flu symptoms, right? Uh, Vicodin will take away the misery. You've just got the flu, but you've got the, you haven't got the misery. And then some older, this old gay couple, and the guy says, well, I think that's why people get hooked on opiates. It, people are miserable with life. I went, oh, my God, he's right. It takes <laughs> away, he takes away people's misery. You know, I'm not miserable with life. I love life. <laughs> but yeah. I could see where, and, but when, when there's times when I'm miserable from my back or from whatever, they help. I, I break one in half, and it helps me with it. It takes away the misery, and he was—he yeah. was so right, and that's—but—but but, and I said, I guess that's why so many people who find life miserable get addicted to those, but it, it, it fucks it up for people like you who need it. Do you get injections in your back? Do you, do you do that? No, because I had—it hasn't been that far. Mine, I believe, is muscular, and for a long time I didn't know what caused it, but I—I'm a—I'm a—I'm a weightlifting guy. Okay. have been all my life and i'm pretty sure it's when i do shoulders and when I, I still i still lift the amount of weight as though i have to make the green bay packers <laughs> in september right it's just it's so yeah. i'm worried about making the 52-man roster right <laughs> and so i've got four plates on each side because if i get below four you know that's 360 pounds i can shoulder press yeah. What do I need to do that for? I uh, I'm in my fifties. What do I need to do that? Yeah. But I don't like to. I don't like the idea of myself getting any weaker. So I have to stick with the records that I've always had. And uh, as a result, every once in a while, if I'm not tightening my core when I'm doing it, I end up with this back issue. And it's, so it's a lot of ego involved, are you? <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, but that you know, congratulations on that still. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I, I still. I hardly ever miss a day of exercising in one way or another. Can't weightlift every day, but um, you. I'll. I'll go out and I'll walk or I'll run. Yeah, it's, I've kind of been a physical fitness addict. It makes well, me easy, easier to live with. I'll tell you something, Tom. You know, I can't do it now. I'm just not physically able to do it. But before I got sick, I would walk five miles a day. And oh, I'm so, that's great. That's ten thousand so steps. I'm glad I did that, you know, because I think it's helped, you know, although I can't do it now, it, if I hadn't done that, if I just been sitting around, you know, I don't even know if I'd be here now. Oh, and you're right. And that's a COVID got a lot of people who just sit around. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, you know, when we were talking about the, uh, about with you putting stuff out on social media, and making it less than abstract for people. That was what when COVID got political for a while. Yeah. Uh, not that it isn't now, but people stop. You stop being political about it when someone you know gets it, because then it's not abstract. Then it's not just liberals in blue cities getting it. Right? It's your grandmother. 
in Alabama. And then, you know, okay, wait, this isn't political. This is real. And that's one thing that you're bit by, by talking about it in social media. One thing you help out with people is you keep it from being abstract. Right. Yeah. Well, my dad passed away in December of, um, he didn't die of COVID, but it was a respiratory illness that was brought on by, he had a form of ALS. Uh huh. And, um, but we couldn't go to the hospital to see him. Oh, right. Oh, God. Yeah. It, it was very, very, it was very hard because the, what we did was we did, uh, they, they had iPads at the hospital. Yep. And they would let the patients, you know, uh, do zoom calls. How, how was he with the iPad? He was good. Okay. Was that's good. good. Yeah. Because my mother's got an iPad and she's in a, she's in a assisted living place and that's a disaster. <laughs> with the this? fucking iPad. Oh my God. You can't, you can't line it up or something. Oh, she's yeah. It's just her and the buttons and she's got uh, early onset dementia. Although my brother and I keep saying nothing early about it. We noticed a long time ago, but, uh, Oh, it's a disaster, but that's just her personality. Uh, she's got a lovely personality, but she was never good with gadgets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my dad, he had his iPad because he, he would listen to uh, all of his music through his iPad. Oh, great, great, great. So, I don't know. My brother, you know, you know how, how um, those, what do you call those tablets kind of evolved over the years? You know, they, they, they went from being pretty crappy. <laughs> Being, right. pretty, being pretty good right yeah got one. I, dad must have had like 20 tablets everybody's buying him tablets for this and that oh great you know and then finally one that the ipad worked and um yeah the ipads are great you can sync them up with your other phones etc yeah ipads are, but uh, not the one my mother had but i'm glad your dad i'm glad your dad could navigate his so you could uh spend time with him that way yeah, and I was I was worried about my mother dying during COVID. Not as much from COVID because of the precautions they were taking where she is, but um, yeah. I just just I uh, and that sucks. And people didn't get to go to the service, probably right? Kidding no. Be- so we we I don't know how we finagled it, but we were able to do. Uh, so they're in, they're in Hayward at the cemetery. They have an outdoor. I, I guess they've always had it. I didn't know they ever had it, but they have like an outdoor service area. So it's got like a, it's like, it's, it's like this big circular garden. It's really uh-huh. beautiful. And my dad loved gardening and that kind of, so it was actually much better. Oh, good. But, and so, you know, social distancing and all that. Well, I, I think it was, you know, his, his nephew showed up and some other family showed up. And he was able to have the graveside uh, taps playing in the in the Marine Corps. He was in the Marine Corps, so he had the whole he had the whole thing of uh, the the ceremony. It was great. Oh, good, yeah. good. I'm glad you didn't get ripped off from that either. No, we didn't get ripped oh. off. And then, um, but then, then my uh, my uncle and his wife. She has. Uh, she's had cancer for a long time and she's in a wheelchair. And, uh, so she's very, you know, she was there, she came and they, they were off by themselves or they stayed off by themselves for the most part. But I just love them so much. I didn't, I wanted to go say hi to them. So everybody had their masks on their face coverings. And I just, you know, went over to them and said, Hey, you know, 
I appreciate your support and I'm thinking of you. And uh, so the next, the very next day, we get a call from their daughter saying that they tested positive for COVID. Oh, wow. Huh. Wow. And they said that they had, they felt like they may have caught it from her husband from, because they all live together. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, great. But by the grace of God, nobody got it. Nobody, nobody, there was no transmission. Well, yeah, you got, you guys were outside. People were further away. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Oh, yeah. That was a, such a scary time in the past year. Such a scary time. How did it affect you, Tom? Did you guys just do your shows from home, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. It, it was uh, it was interesting in the way that there were some upsides. I didn't have to get in the I did a better job. Uh, I'm, I'm anchoring the news in L.A. I did a better job because I didn't. I didn't spend the last half hour working ahead so I can get on the freeway. Right. I, get, I, you know, I just, I did. You work right. Even if you work overtime, big deal. What I mean is I, I wasn't having to get paid overtime, but what I mean is I, all I have to do is go to the other room. And it's, uh, and so we had, so there were some blessings during COVID that we felt guilty about, uh, you know, the survivor's guilt thing, right? <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah, that's true. Some good things happened uh, financially uh, in our house uh, during COVID. And um, so we had a little guilt about that. And and the downside is, you know, all the people that you wanted, you know, that you knew you'd go to lunch with, but you would, okay, let's do it next week. Okay, let's do it next week. And relatives, and I haven't seen my mother since March of 2011. I mean, 2011, March of, of, uh, of 2020. Good son. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, that you know all the things we put off and of course i'm not telling you anything you don't know because of, of what you're dealing with about uh the blessings of the moment that's right that we uh that we sometimes that, that covid or cancer can remind you that you are neglecting is the blessings of the moment uh the the late night talk show host uh the one on channel two oh stephen colbert his brother his two brothers and dad came from a big family died in a plane crash when he was 10 and he wrote a book about it and uh you know maybe one of the reasons he's a comedian having to go through that yeah and he and he, and he came to refer to it as a blessing as he you know as he got older and involved in the way that it reminded him that it's a blessing to exist and even the pain and suffering he went through was all part of the blessing of existing. Right. And it was heavy stuff. But, you know, watching this comedian you know, uh, talk about this, who's talking with Anderson Cooper about it, was so fascinating and heavy, but true. It reminds us all about the blessings of the day. That's right. Ernie, you're uh, you're an inspiration. To many, this movie will make you an inspiration to millions. You keep fighting because, again, I've been on this journey with a friend of mine in the past, and the toughest days are the days I remember the most and the amount of people that are watching and praying for you and hope for the best, and we hope to have you out here in Vegas. I'd love to take you to a Raider game. 
keep yeah, in touch. Cool. We'll promote this. We'll get it up on Facebook, on our podcast. And, you know, I, I really appreciate your time because you've had a big impact in my life as a sports talk radio host. And you've had a big impact on a lot of people. You're not a caller. You're not a guy who impersonates Howard Cosell. You're a tremendous human being. You're a dad. Thanks, Ernie. Thanks, guys. It was great. Oh, wow. Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. JT and Looney podcast is powered by Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.